Well, every year we always start off with what is our vision, what is our calling for this coming year? And for 2023, we really feel that as, as an eldership and as a leadership, as pastors, we've really been feeling that God has been saying to go to the next step, which is what we're calling Be the Light. That is our focus for this year. Why Be the Light? Well, I don't know if you remember a small thing that happened a few years ago called the pandemic. And it seemed like it shut down the world. It shut down relationships. It shut down focus. It shut down passion within people. In 2021, we had a word and a vision to, to, called activate because we wanted to be activated back into our faith again. And so we encourage you for a whole year to be activated in your faith. Do not, let, do not slumber. Do not sleep. Do not back down. Don't back away from your calling. And then last year, we called it Pass It On because we wanted us to know how, what it was to be able to take our faith and pass it on to someone else, to activate somebody else. Pass on your passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ to someone else. But this year, we want to talk about being the light. Why? Because being the light is about setting a standard for the world. What does light do? Light does two things. It exposes the bad and it exhibits the good. It exposes the bad and it exhibits the good. That's what light does. Light brings a standard to the world. And so this year we want our verse, our anchor verse for this year to be from Matthew chapter five, verse 14 to 16. And if you want, you can, let's read this together. Shall we do that together? Let's read this together as a body of Christ as we're reading the word of God. Here we go, ready, steady, go. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I really appreciate that some of you actually said that in a Scottish accent with me. It felt like I was at home. So I want to quickly just look at this scripture and what was for this year. And we're going to just look at some of them. We're going to pick out some of the verses as we're going through it. The first one is this. It says, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says, you are the light. In fact, this is the only thing that Jesus has ever said that we are, that he is too. In fact, he has said in other places in scripture in Luke, it says that he said that I am the light of the world. But here he is now saying, you are the light of the world. How is that possible? Well, the context of where Jesus was saying this was he was actually, he was actually in the middle of preaching this, what they call his magnus opus, which is his greatest teaching, his greatest work. And it's called the Beatitudes. You probably remember the Beatitudes. Blessed are you who are poor in heart, blah, 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 right? And so he's in the middle of this. And after he actually says this, he's on the Sermon of the Mount. He's on the, the Mount of Olives, given the Sermon on the Mount. And he's, after he said all this stuff, he says, now you are the light of the world. He just identified the type of people who are to be the light bearers by all the beatitudes that he just said. Let me show you them all. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the mourning. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And after he gives that list, he then says, and you are the light of the world. 
This seems kind of odd because these seem like the, the downtrodden, the, the, the struggling, the ones who are not the bold and the strong in the world. Why is he choosing these people? Because this is not what the world admires. If anything, if you've lived a life on this planet Earth, you probably noticed that this is not what the world admires. People don't admire those who are poor in spirit. They don't admire those who lack confidence. They don't lack, they don't admire those who are quiet or submissive like who people who are meek. They don't admire that. Let me show you who they admire. The world admires people who are bold, right? Not people who are poor in spirit. The world admires those who are happy. We're trying to constantly buy things and purchase things and get bigger houses and better jobs and, and do greater things in life because it makes us feel happy, but we don't admire the mourning. We don't admire the broken, those who are sad and, and downtrodden. Oh, the people who are sad and broken and downtrodden, they're like a sucking sound. They take all the energy out of the room. But God said, that's the ones that are blessed. Not the ones who are happy all the time and have the perfect Instagram feed. That's not what it is. The world admires the, those who are strong. They don't admire the meek, the submissive type of people, the people who are, are happy to go along with whatever happens. The world admires those who are chasing their own desires. I demand my right to have my love the way that I want to love and the people that I want to love. I want to be in any type of relationship. I want to do whatever it is that I want. They don't admire those who are chasing after righteousness right? But Jesus said, you're not blessed because you fulfill your own desires. You're blessed because you're hungering for righteousness. But the world also admires gloating, right? It doesn't admire those who are merciful. If someone who is publicly shamed or is doing something wrong or bad and, and you disagree with them, often what people will do is they will go online and say, you see, I told you. And then they'll gloat about it on Twitter instead of saying, I'm really sorry that you're in this, this predicament, this situation, and I want to just bless you and cover over a multitude of sins. The world doesn't admire mercy. The world doesn't admire being pure in heart. They admire being guile, guileful and winning, right? They want to have guile and they want to win. They want to beat everybody else. They want to uh, be the best and the greatest and the fastest. The world, in fact, admires domination more than peacemakers. They don't want to see people trying to bring other people together. They don't want someone uh, being able to admit that they were wrong or, or maybe they don't have to be right because that's not gloryful in the world's eyes. And the last one is the world actually admires power. It doesn't admire persecution. It wants to shout about persecution and it wants to condemn those who have power. But really what they're saying is, I want power, right? They want to accuse someone else of having power, but they're not saying it's okay for them to have power or not okay for them to have power. What they're saying is, I want to have the power. Why did Jesus say that all these people were the ones who were blessed? Because I believe it's because they have the best chance of reflecting Christ. They have the best chance of reflecting the light of Christ. All these things that Jesus mentioned, you might say, no, I'm too, I'm too intimidated. I'm too meek. I'm too submissive. I'm too much in mourning. My heart is broken. I'm too merciful. I'm too, I'm too much of a persecuted person. You might say that these are all the reasons why you can't be the light. I'm here to tell you, these are the very reasons why Jesus chooses for you to be the light of the world. You're the one. This removes all reasons for anybody to not be a light bearer. 
Verse 14 continues on. It says, you are the light of the world. And he says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. When Jesus was on the, the, sermon, on the, on the, the Mount of Olives and he was giving his, his Beatitudes, he was standing there and not far away, he could see the city of Jerusalem. Now, it says that God built the city of Jerusalem for a reason, to be a light of hope, to be a, a beacon of hope to the world, to be a place where people would center and congregate together to worship Yahweh right there. God purposely built the city in the very place of what it was. He didn't build it behind a wall. He didn't build it in the middle of a forest. He didn't build it in a valley. He built it on the very plinth, on the very rock that it sits. He put it up high so everybody could see it. And when Jesus was looking at it, he said, no one, a town is not built on a hill and it can, sorry, a town that is built on a hill cannot be hidden. The point is this that God has placed you where you're meant to be. He didn't put you in a nice, safe forest. He didn't put you behind a wall. He put you in the middle of where you're meant to be for a reason. Now you might think, well, why has he put me in this position where I'm being attacked, where I'm being broken down, where everything is not going the way that I want it to be? And maybe it was your own stupid decisions. Fair enough, maybe that wasn't God's plan. You made your own stupid decisions and you've ended up in a place where you shouldn't be. Fair enough. But there are many who are truly hopeful believers who are doing their best for Christ. And they're trying to be as obedient as possible. And in the middle of it, things are falling apart and you're going, what did I do wrong? And God is saying, you didn't do anything wrong. You're exactly where I want you to be. And you're like, but why, why are you allowing things to fall apart on me? And God goes, because that's where I want you to be. I want you to be in a place where even though things are attacked, even though some things might be falling apart, I'm going to do something great in the middle of that thing so that you can be a light to the world. You must trust that God has placed you where you're meant to be. This past year was a financial catastrophe for Crystal and I. I had so many things going wrong and costing us money and trees falling on my house and, and I just lost so much money and I had to get to the place of going, God, you've made this happen or you've allowed it to happen. If it's something I've done that's wrong, then let me know and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll repent and I'll become an obedient son once again. But if I'm not being disobedient, then I must believe that you've allowed it to happen so that this can be used for the glory of God so that the light of God can shine through me and people see me, see how God is moving in me and say, wow, if that's what a Christian is, I want to be like that. God has got you in a place and in a position for a very purpose. A town is built on a hill. It cannot be hidden. Your shame can't be hidden. Your trials and tribulations can't be hidden. Don't let your light be hidden. Don't let what God is trying to do in you and through you be hidden. Just because things went wrong for you doesn't mean that God's not trying to do something amazing within it. And that's why we join with Joseph in the Old Testament. He says, whatever was meant for evil against me, God meant for good. Whatever has gone bad for you, God is going to mean it for good if you give it to him. Are you following me so far? If you're not, God help us all. Verse 15, verse 15, here we go. Verse 15, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither, look at this, 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. I have a light here this morning. Maybe we can pull the lights down and I'll, and I'll show you this light, right? Here's a light. It's not a very big light. It's just a small light. Can everybody see it? Right, is it, is it shining for absolutely everybody? Is it lighting up absolutely everything in this room? No, it's a very small light. It's not a big light whatsoever. But it's a light nonetheless. Bowls, Jesus said, are not meant for hiding your light. Because now it makes your light useless. Now you're looking at this ball and going, you know, that ball is upside down. Oftentimes that happens where we've got some things that are upside down in our lives and they're in a wrong place in our lives and they're hiding the very thing that Christ has done in us and through us already. You know, another example of a light is that even though that Jesus is the light and we're the light, we're not the source of the light. Jesus is the source of the light, like he is the sun and we're like the moon and the moon is only reflecting the light of Christ. But there is one time when the light of the sun does not reflect off the moon. That's when there's a solar eclipse. That's when there's an eclipse where the earth gets in between the moon and the sun. And sometimes I think what happens is when the earth is the world for us and the world gets in between us and Jesus. It gets in between us and Christ. That then becomes our ball. That becomes the thing that's hiding the light that Jesus has already put inside of us. And he's saying, no one puts a, a light up on the top of a, of a plinth on a stand and then puts the ball on top of it. Light must come into contact with everything that is around it in order for it to have use. The responsibility that we have is to put ourselves in public view. If I were to go to your place of work and I was to tell your workmates or I was to tell your clients that you were a Christian, would they be surprised? Would they be shocked? Would they be thinking, I didn't know that? Or would they be like, you know what? I thought they were. That doesn't mean you have to become the company chaplain, right? You're not, you're not being paid to be the chaplain. But maybe we need to find a way to reach more people by living out the light that is within us. I had a, had a, 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 went out with a friend the other night and he said, you know, I've been working from home and I've realized that working from home has made it more difficult to be light in the world. And I said, yeah, it really has. I'm glad he recognized that. And we talked about how we as Christians, if your situation has changed, we have to change our strategy. Because if you're working from home, it's sometimes a little bit more difficult to be light to the world. But that just means that we actually have to figure out how to change our strategy in order to be the light to the world. I remember when I was a teenager and uh, I was told a story of an, an older lady who became incapacitated leave home anymore because of her age and her ability, inability to be able to walk as much. And so she was praying about it and said, God, how do I do what you want me to do? How do I reach more people and speak to more people if I'm stuck at home? And as she was praying, she saw the phone book on the other side of the room and she realized that was her portal to the world. 
And what she used to do every day, she would take the phone book and she would systematically go through every phone number and every name in that phone book and she would call them up and say, I'm sorry, you don't know me. I'm Mrs. Brown and I'm just calling up to ask, can I pray for you for something? And so she would just reach out to people with the, with the tools that she had at hand. My word to you is, how are you reaching out to people with the tools that you have at hand? Maybe you're gonna to have to change your strategy. Maybe you don't have the capacity that you used to have anymore. Maybe, you, maybe your body doesn't work as well. Maybe your mind doesn't work as well. Maybe you're not as sharp as you used to be. It doesn't matter. God has got something great to reflect off of you to shine to the rest of the world. I had a guy working at my house the other day, working on the outside of some of my, my, my rotten wood that's on the side of the house. And I came home one day and I just came back from being away for Christmas. And I said, did you have a good Christmas? And he said, eh, it was, it was eh, eh. And I said, well, it's not, not a good answer, really. I said, what, what happened? He goes, well, I was, I was just by myself. I said, oh, where was everybody else? And he said, well, my, my sons were with their mother, so I couldn't be with my children. And he said, and my mother died not so long ago. And it seems like me and my siblings don't gather together anymore. And when he was saying it, and I said, well, why don't you do something? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I said, you can do it. There's only two things you need. You just need a commitment to it. And the second thing you need is you just have to be the light. Just be the light. Be the one who is the first person to light up the room, to lead. We just need someone to say, let's gather together. Give them all a call and gather them all together. Imagine if I hadn't actually said that to him, maybe he would never have thought of it. Maybe he will do it, maybe he won't do it. It doesn't matter. You will always be put into situations where you have an opportunity to be a standard for someone else's life. You're not here to tell them what to do. This is what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to. I'm not there to be a preacher to him. I'm only there to say this is what we used to do and this is what we do. This is how we gather. We make a commitment every week to gather. Every Sunday night is a family and we've made that commitment. Sometimes it's a pain in the butt. Sometimes it's, a, it's, it's, it's difficult and it's inconvenient, but we've made that commitment and then someone has to say, everyone's gathering at my house this week. Someone has to be the lead light. Someone has to say, it starts with me. Does this make sense? And I really want to encourage you this year that this year we get to be the standard. We get to be different. We get to be meek. We get to be righteous, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers, to be persecuted. We get to be the light to the world. You get to be that person. So this week, I'm gonna give you a little bit of homework. You're gonna figure out what it's gonna take for you to be the light. And you're gonna just ask God, show me how I can be the light this week. And the other piece of homework I'm gonna give you as well is I want you to take this scripture in Matthew chapter five, verse 14 to 16. And I want you to read the next couple of chapters because Jesus basically gives all the examples of how you are to be the light. Now, I don't have time to talk about it this morning. We're not gonna go over it. And if you wanna figure out what it is to be the light, just read what he says thereafter. And you'll see all these principles and all these actions that he demands of us. And he says, if you do those things, you'll be a light in the world. Because you're gonna be different. You're not gonna have to even speak the name of Jesus. You're just gonna be different because you're gonna live a righteous life. Let's stand together as we end our service this morning. Father, we are grateful 
that we get to be the light. That you didn't just choose the strong and the, the bald and the, and, the, and the tenacious and the smart. You didn't choose these types of people to be the light. You chose us, the weak and the base, to dumbfound the wise, as Proverbs says. And we're praying, Father, that you would help us to be a standard in our families, in our communities, and in this world this year as we venture to shine your light into this world. We pray and ask this in your precious son's name and all God's people said, amen.